Welcome to Short Talks from the Hill, a podcast of the University of Arkansas. My name is Matt McGowan. Today, I'm talking to Benjamin Runkle, Assistant Professor of Biological and Agricultural Engineering. Welcome, Benjamin, and thank you for being here. Thank you. I'd like to start by sort of zooming out just a little bit. I just mentioned that you are a biological and agricultural engineer. In your case, specifically, we're talking about agricultural engineering. I think most people have a general idea of what an engineer is, but can you talk a little bit about your profession, your specific area? What do agricultural engineers do? Right. Well, engineering, generally speaking, is uh, the application of science to become more efficient in our operations as humans. And in agricultural engineering, we're working with farmers to increase the efficiency of their operations to produce more crops with fewer inputs and to do so with less labor, often in a more marketable way. This year, back in April, you received a National Science Foundation Career Award. Uh, everyone calls them, calls them that, a career award but the formal name is a Faculty Early Career Development Award, and yours was for slightly more than half a million dollars. Could you talk about the significance of the, these awards yourself? These are pretty prestigious. These are pretty prestigious awards. So they, are, tell me. they are prestigious, and they are exciting to get. They are a mark of um, an investment by the NSF into young faculty who seem to have promising ideas for both, um, for all facets of their academic life. So it's one several unique things about the grant. One is that it's a, a combined emphasis on research and teaching. There's a strong educational component to the award, um, as well as the research. It's also a five-year grant instead of a typical three-year grant. So you have to think on a longer time horizon. You can have a second question that depends on the output of a first question that might not come for three more years. And, and so that also allows me to plan out the next five years of my career, when I will be able to hire PhD students, when I'll be able to work on different questions on a longer time frame than I'm kind of um, encouraged to do on other grants. So that's quite nice. The grant supports um, an educational component to the work, and I'll be working with three different EAST programs in the state of Arkansas. That's environmental and spatial technology. It's a high school or middle school kind of club or project-based learning class. And so I'll be working with three different classrooms um, to help them help us. Are these schools in, in the Delta? Yeah, um, one is near Jonesboro, one is in Stuttgart, and one is here in Springdale okay. that will take some of the results that we're doing and help to model or game them or use drones to help us collect data, um, stuff like that that we'll be doing to help um, expose students of different levels and different backgrounds to um, possible careers or study paths in food and agricultural sciences. Or it's interesting to me that it's a National Science Foundation grant. I don't know if the Department of Agriculture has career awards, but I think it's interesting that this was an NSF award. Right, yeah, that's right. The, all, many of the agencies do have something similar. So Department of Energy, Department of Agriculture, both have sure. early career awards and, and options. They're all written a little bit differently. The NSF one is, I think, unique in having this teaching emphasis as well. And um, there is a big engineering directorate within the NSF. So um, as this was seen as a kind of mix of science and engineering with some applications outside of agriculture, I think it was relevant for the funders at the NSF and not only from the USDA. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. 
So your career award is helping you, and you, you alluded to this earlier, uh, it's helping you expand your research on developing sustainable methods for rice farming. And we're talking about down in the, down in the Delta, the southeast part of Arkansas. I want you to tell us about that, but let's first talk about rice. Um, Arkansas is the top American producer of rice. Why is that the case? Right, yeah, so Arkansas actually does produce about half the rice that's grown in the United States, so it's roughly equivalent to the amount of rice that Americans eat each year is produced in Arkansas. The U.S. exports about half of its rice. <laughs> so we're really a, a dominant player in the in global rice production and specifically in the U.S. Arkansas, the whole delta region of Arkansas is very flat, has rich, fertile soils that are well conducive to rice production. The Mississippi River Delta is actually an alluvial plain that's on the banks of the Mississippi River, and by far the greatest portion of that delta region is in Arkansas. So it's very similar agriculture, including rice, is, is produced and practiced on the Mississippi side and the Missouri side and then the northern Louisiana side of the delta, but Arkansas has the, the dominance of that area. Those rich soils have been deposited by the river over millennia, and um, the clays there are really good at holding in water, which relates to the water use in, in rice production, that those fields drain very slowly, they're very swampy. Rice has an ability to withstand those conditions that other crops don't have. So a lot of the land essentially calls out to be, um, to be used as rice production fields. When I think about rice farming, uh, and you just kind of indicated this, uh, the first the first thought that comes to mind is water and rice patties, uh, thinking that maybe, I don't know where I picked this up, but perhaps images or maybe movies, Hollywood of Vietnam or something, Southeast Asia, where there's a lot of rice farming. Um, can you tell us about these, a little bit more about these traditional rice farming methods? Yeah, sure. So why do we flood rice, but we don't flood other plants? Rice is a semi-aquatic plant. It has the ability to withstand flooded conditions. So actually the rice or the the flood water prevents oxygen from going into the root zone um, which chokes out most non-aquatic plants which are most of the weed species are those um, non-aquatic species so it's a natural means of weed suppression to flood the fields rice has an adaptation that allows it to grow under those conditions because it it's essentially structured, it's, it's a grass, but it has a tube-like structure on, in the inside that's something like a drinking straw that allows oxygen to come into the roots from the plant itself rather than from the um, open soil spaces that um, a traditional um, dry land crop would be um, exposed to. I see, okay. So, all this water is kind of a problem. And so we've, they, we've known this, you guys, engineers, agricultural engineers and, ag, and rice farmers have known this for a while. Uh, you're working with several of these farmers uh, in the Arkansas Delta uh, to address this issue. And the Career Award is, is helping you do that. Tell us what you're doing down there. What are the alternative strategies for farming rice and what are the advantages or benefits of these alternative strategies? Right, sure. So let me let me just start by saying that using a lot of water for rice is okay in places where there is plentiful water. Unfortunately, much of the water that's used in Arkansas is from the groundwater, which is being used at a faster rate than it's being naturally replenished. So the farmers are having to 
um, lower their wells from year to year, decade to get to decade, and um, we're not yet bending the curve on on how much water is being withdrawn from the the groundwater reservoirs. I see. So some farmers are doing things like putting in surface water reservoirs, um, tapping other water supplies, even switching away from rice production into other crops that, that might use less water. But a lot of the soil, as I said, is clay and is naturally conducive to growing rice. Rice is a big part of the culture and economy of the state. And so some of the alternate methods of growing rice involve using less water by parsing it out more carefully through the growing season of rice. And one of those in particular is called alternate wetting and drying. So that introduces drying periods intermixed through the flood periods that um, rice is exposed to. At certain times of the summer, rice does not need to be flooded. And where the farmers have taken advantage of um, the flooding or herbicides to get rid of the weeds, then they're able to dry out the soils and that allows them to capture more rainfall. Rainfall, which would have, in the flooded case, just run off the end of the field, they're able to use that. And then they're also able to just simply apply less water from the groundwater. And is there an example of that? I think in what we talked about previously when I had written about your work was a sort of an inlet system using um, piping, is that right? Yeah, th yeah, that's one of the strategies that they use as a, as a it's called multiple inlet um, rice irrigation, and that's using this um, plastic piping that allows water to get um, to the field very quickly. That's that's used in farms that have some slope. There are also farmers who've converted their farms to having zero grade or zero slope, so it's completely as flat as a table. And in those cases, they water from the from all four sides towards the center of the field, so that the water. Um, spreads across those fields very efficiently and then is able to be held in place, maybe something like a, a small bath. Our work will help demonstrate when it is okay and not okay to implement these alternate wetting and drying strategies or use of the plastic piping to get water across the field more efficiently and um, how much water will be saved and and then also something about the greenhouse gas emissions. And, and there I should explain that the the flooded conditions of rice production produce swampy soils, and in those swampy soil environments, you have methane that's a powerful greenhouse gas. It's about 22 to 25 times more potent as a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide, and that's produced under these swampy conditions without the presence of oxygen. And so interrupting those swampy conditions with these periodic dry down events reduces the production of methane from rice fields. And globally, rice fields are responsible for about 10 to 15 percent of anthropogenic or human-caused methane emissions to the atmosphere. So it's a significant part of our, our greenhouse gas story and responsibility. Well, ben, thank you very much for your work and your service to the state, and thank you for being with us here today. Yeah, sure. Music for Short Talks from the Hill was written and performed by Ben Harris guitar instructor at the University of Arkansas. For more information and additional podcasts, go to KUAF.com or researchfrontiers.uark.edu, the home of research news at the University of Arkansas.